Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I'm a female leader in sports. I'm the general manager of a AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, and I'm the first woman to hold this title in nearly 20 years. And I'm here with the Leadership is Female podcast to make sure that this amount of time never goes by again before another woman leads. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here to interview successful women in sport to uncover opportunity, learn the tips, learn from our mistakes, learn from our successes to get you to the top faster. Join me and my guests week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. I will lead her forward because leadership is female. On episode 10 of the Leadership is Female podcast, I interviewed Nancy Hensley, a C-suite executive who has worked for IBM and now StatsPerform, a global sports tech company with over 2,000 employees. This episode is all about leadership, a favorite topic of the podcast, and Nancy really brings more depth and real business examples of how you can put your leadership skills to work and where you might look to grow. Hang on until the end where Nancy talks about the number one area you should work on to level up. The answer might surprise you. I'm terrible at cliffhangers, so I'll tell you what it is right now. It is storytelling. The number one area you should work on today to level up tomorrow is to become a great storyteller. Listen to Nancy's explanation and you just may have as big of an aha moment as I did. Grab a pen. Incredible episode coming your way. Today on the Leadership is Female podcast, we have Nancy Hensley. Nancy is the Chief Product and Marketing Officer at StatsPerform, a global sports tech company based in Chicago and London. Nancy currently oversees the product innovation, design, and marketing teams. Nancy joined StatsPerform in 2020 from a long career in big tech at IBM Corporation. At IBM, she held a number of leadership roles that span technological sales, development, marketing, product growth, and digital. Throughout her years at IBM, Nancy remained focused on data, analytics, and AI. Nancy previously served as Chief Digital Officer at IBM Data and AI prior to joining StatsPerform. In her years in technology, Nancy has served as a passionate advocate for women in tech and leadership, working as a mentor both internally at IBM and externally with organizations like Women Unlimited. Today, Nancy continues that passion to promote women in leadership and has recently started to work with Women in Sports Tech, an organization focused on changing the the ration of women in the industry. Nancy is a graduate of Benedictine University and lives outside of Chicago with her family. Welcome to the podcast, Nancy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So I read your bio, but I'd love to hear in your own words who you are and how you got there. Sure. I, I always refer to myself as a data nerd. I've been in data and analytics for the last couple of decades, primarily at IBM. Um, but before that, I started off my career at McDonald's doing similar work at McDonald's Corporation. So a couple of big known companies. Um, I, I have kind of bounced between product and marketing most of my career, which is why I really loved the, the digital and the growth jobs, because that was kind of a hybrid of both of those roles. 
love them both. So it's, it's, it's great that I got to do both here at Stats Perform. Um, live outside the city, big, big uh, sports fans. So I root for my Cubbies and Blackhawks and Bears. So far, everybody's doing pretty good, although we won't talk about yesterday's performance in the playoffs oh. with the Cubs. Well, <laughs> uh, as a Chicago so yeah, native, I love to hear that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We I mean, I think my life was pretty much complete when they won the World Series. So, you know, now I don't care if they ever do it again. I just wanted to see it once. So. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people feel the same, same way. Um, so I want to talk a lot about Stats Perform and the big, big role you have with this global company. But before we get into that, I want to take a quick second to hear from you about your family. Uh, you were part of a documentary that sure. highlighted your rise to becoming an executive, and you spoke about your relationship with your husband and how that um, assisted in your, your rise to the executive level. Can you touch on that? Sure. Happy to. So um, I was a single mom for most of my children's life. My kids are now 19 and nearly 23. So I have one out of college, one down, one to go, uh, one in college. Um, hopefully he stays that way with COVID. Uh, and so the kids were quite young when I was divorced from my husband. They were three and five. And he was not, he was a more of a, I would say almost like a 1950s attitude towards women, not very supportive of my career. I almost felt bad every time I had some success. And like it was every time I would go higher up the chain, it was like it was degrading my marriage. And it just, it was really challenging. I, when I went through the divorce, I thought, well, this is it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to make it to the executive ranks now. There's no way as a single mom of a three and a five-year-old but I was lucky enough to work for a company that really saw more of my strengths and more, and I, you know, not my limitations or what I felt was my limitations. And I think that's really important for a lot of women to think about because we often respond to situations thinking about our limitations and not our strengths. And that's one thing I've definitely learned over those years is that know what you bring to the table, not what you don't bring to the table and use that. And I, I had to hone that skill over the years. Um, and I did become an executive in IBM shortly after I w became a single mom. It wasn't that long after. I remarried my husband in uh, 2011 and he is extremely supportive. In fact, he ended up quitting his job so he could stay home with the kids because my travel schedule was just so crazy. Having that kind of support, it, it just, it meant the world to me because, you know, again, women, as women, we either feel like we have to be the ones or we don't ask or we don't have the right partner so that we can succeed. And, uh, you know, it's meant the world to me in terms of him supporting my career and, um, you know, being there for not just for myself, but for the kids over the years. And that's made a huge difference in my life. The right partner means everything when you're, when you're trying to reach the next levels as a woman. It does. And everything you're saying just resonates so deep inside my heart. You have to have truly a partner. Um, you have to be clear about your goals within your own family. And Absolutely. then also externally, I think you really hit the nail on the head where you said sometimes we, we as women, we focus on our shortcomings rather than our strengths. 
And yeah. imagine if we flipped that and led yeah. with the strengths and didn't feel the need to highlight or point out exactly. any of our shortcomings, exactly. you know, how, how much farther might, might we make it down the line? Absolutely. I remember, I'll give you a great example. One time I was out camping with the kids. It was a weekend and um, it was a Saturday late afternoon. And I get this text from the gentleman who's now the CEO of IBM. He was our VP back then. And he's, you know, the question was, can you be in New York first thing Monday morning by 8 a.m.? And of course, I went through this panic. Well, here I am in Wisconsin. I'm with the kids. How do I get a babysitter? I can't do this. Like full out panic. And I finally, at some point, I remember just taking a deep breath and thought, maybe I should just tell him what I can do and see what happens. <laughs> Literally, I remember texting him back saying, I could be there Monday afternoon. And then I held my breath. And then the response was just, okay. <laughs> you know, all that stress for nothing, right? So I think it was just like a perfect example to me of how we focus on all of the limitations and things we can't do when usually most of the time, the things we can do is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> I love that example. I can think of so many times where I've felt that same stress or pressure and I bet our listeners are feeling the same thing. And here you did, you just presented what you could get done. And guess what? That was just fine. Fine. Absolutely. So we just got to remember that. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I, I'm so grateful that you shared that with us. And so I want to pivot here mm -hmm. and um, talk about the intersection of technology and sports. This is a really, really big topic. Mm -hmm. um, but Nancy, you're on the podcast today, um, one, because you're a female leader, um, but another because you're working in sports. You're not working mm -hmm. for a team, but you're working for a tech company um, mm -hmm. that works with sports teams, leagues, and even countries uh, globally to, to elevate um, those experiences. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So the roots of this company actually go back to the 1980s. Um, and it goes back to a time when there was a gentleman named Bill James who wrote the, the baseball abstracts who challenged the way we measured sport, in particular in baseball back then, really kind of challenged the thought of it's less about getting a slugger and more about on-base percentages. And of course, that wasn't a very popular opinion back then, but it was the inspiration for Billy Bean to build his team that went farther than anybody else thought they would. And you know, that spirit is still very strong in this company today. Uh, years and decades later, we've um, merged with a couple, couple of companies. So Stats is now Stats Perform couple of decades later, but we are still challenging the way sports measured. We just have different tools to do that today. So we can use artificial intelligence. We can use machine learning um, in addition to statistical and predictive methods. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So how are you working with teams and leagues around the globe? Sure. So um, a couple ways. One is that we are our heritage is in data. So we have methods, uh, pro proven methods to collect data. In fact, we have data collections that date back to the 1800s for some sports, which is pretty impressive. So we have wow. this long, deep, rich history of historical sports data, which you know has a thousand ways that you can leverage that, not just from storytelling and things like that, which I think we do a great job of, but also historical analysis of how the game has changed and the player's performance, things like that. So we've got the, the data 
On top of that data, we have a team, probably one of the largest teams in sports tech that have data scientists and AI specialists, as well as computer vision. So we're using that data to create better predictions and insights that teams use, that broadcasters can use, that media can use, publishers to write great stories. Um, also, it, it, that data is also used in, we stream content and data into uh, sports books for betting as well. So it's, the core data is used in multiple ways. And then we also build applications um, for teams and leagues. Uh, we do soccer, cricket, rub, rugby, um, for team performance and recruitment um, that helps them create the best game strategies, draft the best players, and basketball. We're also um, in basketball as well on the team analysis. And um, it's, it's pretty impressive stuff in terms of being able to leverage AI and machine learning because we can take these complex models and we can take thousands of players, look at patterns of how they play. And, in, and if we're talking about soccer here for a second, um, soccer players play all over the pitch, like they're all over the field. So if you're going to replace a player, you can't just look at their statistics. And it's the same thing with basketball. You really got to understand how they play on the field and how they would fit into how your, how your team plays on the pitch. So you, you couldn't do that. It's not humanly possible to be able to isolate players that not just play, that look the same statistically, but play the same. And we can do that with computer vision and AI now and basically serve up the answer of who could be a replacement on my team across thousands of players and, and hundreds of leagues within minutes now, just by looking at them in a, in a cluster diagram in our tool. So wow. It's like bringing AI superpowers. <laughs> yes, it is. That is incredible. Um, you were telling me earlier about one of your most exciting partnerships. I'd love if you shared that with our, our listeners. Sure. I think uh, one of the more exciting stories we have is the Croatian team that used our tool in the World Cup and performed better than any, anybody ever expected. And they're a small country, 4 million people. That usually is not the kind of team you see showing up in the World Cup, doesn't have a ton of money. Um, but they were able to use uh, analytics and our capabilities with our tools to actually create better game strategies, build a winning team that took them all the way to the World Cup and, and performed pretty well in the World Cup. So it's, it's definitely um, extremely effective. It's kind of like the Moneyball strategy, right? Where if you have the right analytics and the right predictions, you can build a winning strategy. Uh, that's so interesting. And um, I'm sure we've got people furiously taking notes right now <laughs> on uh, <laughs> how to get that edge. How do you, how do you level up uh, with, with stats perform? Um, so I want to shift a little bit away from the company, um, mm -hmm. company's performance specifically and talk a little bit more about you, Nancy. Um, sure. What does your role look like day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week as the chief product and marketing officer at Stats Perform? Busy. <laughs> so <laughs> we are, um, we have become a much more agile company from a development perspective. So we're running uh, large sprints about every six weeks of work. So we do a, lo a lot of planning and then run a sprint um, in the process. We're also looking at how we better present information and make information more consumable about what we do, whether it's branding through our website. I think one of the cool things we've done recently too is 
we've created a storytelling capability. It's on our website called The Analyst. And it actually started as something we were doing during COVID because sports had completely stopped. And so we started using not just our data and our capability with predictions and insights, but some of the amazing talent we have inside of Stats Perform to tell some really great stories with data. That's really taken off. Um, so we've added that to our, <laughs> to our repertoire as well. Um, but I, I would say I would spend about half of the time with my product team, my design team. Then we also have the product incubator, which we recently put together, and that's helping us accelerate um, innovation. We have a huge portfolio of products, as, as I mentioned, between the betting, the team performance, the data, and the media products that we have. Um, so it's sometimes it's hard with all of that going on to actually manage a, a, a very consistent pace of, of innovation. So we've actually created a, an accelerator now where we can build out MVPs and iterate on them very fast. And so I usually start off my day talking to the, my chief innovation officer, most of my product team uh, end up with the afternoon because that's where most of my, my uh, thank God marketing is in Chicago. Most of my team is in Europe. So I spend a lot of morning time with them. Um, and just, we're just continuing to find new ways where we can tell stories with data and make the AI portion of what we do much more consumable to our clients. Because as a technology, I think AI is scary to people. <laughs> um, so I really feel like we need to do a better job at how we express, how we're leveraging it inside of a tool where for the most part, people won't know they're using AI, but what they will feel like is like I mentioned, like they have some sort of superpower with a tool they never had before. Yeah, so important to, um, from the inside out, be able to mm -hmm. present that product on a playing field that all the clients can understand. You've got to mm -hmm. have that pitch digestible. Um, so certainly with all that Stats Perform can do, um, makes sense that you're spending a lot of time developing that storytelling. We are, yeah, indeed. Can you um, tell us about a tipping point in your career? Wow. Tipping point. Um, I think it, you know, I think it probably goes back to when I became a single mom and I was really questioning how far I could actually take my career and where I could go and really looking inside of myself and thinking about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And I knew I wanted to get to a leadership role and I was too, I have taken, I guess the, the I've let the path kind of guide me along the way. So um, I wanted to be a little bit more focused on where I went after that. Because before that, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll do that role. I'll do that role. I'll do that role. I was a little bit more focused on making sure that the roles I was taking were, were, were building blocks, were helping me grow towards where I wanted to be. And I also felt like to be a leader, it, I, you know, you have to go over this, this challenge that you are the, the expert, the, the person who has to know it all. Because a leader isn't that person. The leader is the person who enables the team to, to be able to do the things they do. You don't have to be the subject matter expert. That was a huge thing for me because I came from a technical background to get past the fact that I didn't have to do it, but I had to figure out a way to enable people to be successful. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, mm -hmm. I, because before you become a leader, you're the doer. You're the right. you're subject right. matter expert. You're the one who completes the task. You want the A plus on that yep. assignment from your boss. Yep. 
And then when you're elevated to a leadership role, you're overseeing multiple departments, you're overseeing multiple people, and uh, you've got to know the pathway that you want them to go down. You've got to lead them in that direction, but give them the room to let their work shine. And um, right. sometimes I feel like I'm taking a bite of a slice of humble pie because <laughs> I don't know it all. I need yep. to trust in the team to bring me the best information and the best recommendation. That's what I'm asking for from them. I feel that every time I meet with our AI team, <laughs> that <laughs> I don't understand half of what they're talking about in terms of the methods that they use, but I do understand the outcome that we're trying to get to. And that's what I'm managing to. So yeah, getting past that, I didn't need to know it all. Uh, as a leader uh, was a big tipping point for me. And then I started to choose roles that helped me flex that muscle a little bit more instead of being more focused on what I personally could contribute. Yeah, because it's more about the team than about the individual. Absolutely, absolutely. Point. Um, hey, just a quick break to remind you to head on over to emilyjansen.com to download your free copy of the top 10 myths about being a female leader in sports. This guide will debunk the top myths and lead you to the top. This guide will show you what's possible to achieve in life while having an incredible career in sports. Head on over to Emily Jansen, that's J-A-E-N-S-O-N.com and grab your copy. It's free. Now let's get back to this great interview. Tipping points and hurdles. They're a little bit different because I feel like a tipping point can happen earlier in your career just when you think, you know, you're not sure what the next destination is. You sort of tip into um, the, the next greatest thing. Sometimes mm -hmm. when you get there, you're encountering some tremendous hurdles along the way. Um, can you tell us about a hurdle that you have overcome in your career? I think probably... The hurdles I can think of that stand out the most are um, non-supportive bosses. <laughs> I think people underestimate how important it is to have somebody who really believes in you. And if you stay with someone who doesn't, and you know it, you feel it every day, it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy over time. And so the, hur the hurdles I felt I had were working for people who did not believe in me, who did not know how to exploit my talents um, or understand my talents either. And getting past those, because sometimes it's not easy to just get out of a role or uh, a reporting chain, but those were probably the biggest hurdles that I faced over the, over the years. So what's um, a tip that you would give to somebody who has a non-supportive boss? Uh, you know, you can try and change the situation and see if you can help that person understand over time. But if it doesn't work, you got to get out. You just have to accept the fact that it's just going to take you down over time, little bit by little bit. And I've seen people just, people who are amazing talents, just not flourish under the right person. And I remember I inherited a team of people a few years ago when I was at IBM. And some, one of the, one of the employees I was told was just not great and, and he, it's funny because I believed in this person and the, and the response and the, and the commitment and the, and the work products I got out of this person was completely different than, than his previous manager had experienced. And I think that was a huge, another tipping point to me to make me realize how much now I was on the other end of that. And it was up to me to make sure that I gave this person a chance. 
So yes, give your, give that person a chance, but if it's not working, you got to get out. You got to get away from it. Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially women, um, we have a hard time letting go and moving on. We do. Um, sometimes we just continue to run up against that brick wall thinking I can change it. I can change it. I can mm -hmm. change it. And uh, sometimes the answer is uh, it's time to move on to move up. Right. And um, that's okay. I think Absolutely. that's, I think that's a, a wise choice and you've got to work for a company and for a boss and a leader who supports you and your development and helps you to flourish. I think you made a really great point where you said over time, it can continue to degrade your self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And man, if you stay in that situation for too long, um, you're not left with much to bring right. to the next opportunity. Right. Absolutely. And then as a leader, you've got to recognize that you might inherit people that have been in that situation. Yeah. And it involves maybe a little bit more management and a little bit more stewarding um, than you might have thought you needed to put in. Yeah. I think it's important as a leader too, to really take the time to understand what what makes somebody valuable, right? What their talents are, what their superpowers are, what gets them out of bed, what are they passionate about? Because it's those, it's that information you can use as you create an environment where you're going to get the best out of that employee. But if you don't know any of those things, it's really difficult to create that environment. So, and I know when the team gets bigger, that's a lot harder. I'm, I'm struggling through that right now where I'm, I took a week where I literally just canceled all my normal meetings just so I could do more skip level meetings and get to know more people on the team that I don't normally meet with on a day-to-day -day basis because they're down a few levels. And it, it's so enlightening and inspiring all at once. And it's not just enlightening, inspiring for me, but it's inspiring for that employee who normally doesn't get a chance to talk to a C-level executive. And you don't think it's a big deal. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal that somebody gets a chance to talk to me, but they think it is. And it's, you know, but for me, it was, it was an amazing week of just talking to people I don't get to talk to every day. Oh, that's awesome. And it's, it is an opportunity. Um, and sometimes you get that little bit of, of a surprise, even when you've been mm -hmm. an executive for years, um, you get a little bit surprised when, mm -hmm. when they're that excited and, and anxious to connect with you. But that, that time and attention means the world. Um, I've, I've talked to new managers before and told them, you know, get to know your employees. Do they have, are they married? What's their right. spouse's name? Do they have pets at home? You know, where are they from? What, what is their alma mater? Mm -hmm. um, knowing a couple of those things and recognizing that so you can connect with them when the big game's on or, um, you know, it's national dog day. You know, those right. are things that people remember and appreciate. Right. Absolutely. So we touched on moving on um, to move up. What mm -hmm. is the best advice you would give to sports industry job seekers? So I think, you know, it's funny because um, there's not, obviously, you know, there's not a lot of women in this space. And I think it's, it is an amazing space because there's so many directions you can go. Um, that people don't even realize it. And sports tech is pretty big field. I mean, it covers so many different technologies and, and directions that I think if you, you think you may not be able to have a, a, some sort of career in sports, 
But even if you're an accountant, if you're somebody who is studying business, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like we need all of those roles in sports. I mean, I have somebody who works for me that's a business analyst. So she does a lot of the business case analysis and financial analysis. I have, um, you know, people who were just studied marketing, but now love sports and they're in a sports tech company. I mean, there's so many possibilities. And I think we, you know, don't think that you can't get in. If you love sports and you want to get into the industry, there's most likely a place for you. So tell us about your work with women in sports tech. You've been a mentor uh, most of your career. Um, mm -hmm. what, what is this new uh, work like with women in sports tech? So I'm really just getting the chance to get started in that. I, I was really anxious to kind of find a way to continue the mentoring process that I was doing in, in tech in general. Um, to me, it was really discouraging how many women we were losing that weren't coming into tech. We were just it was, seemed like there was a certain age that they were just kind of dropping off, that they would want to get into science of some sort, and then they would drop off. So I started to look for outlets here as well, because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, there's tech, which is, seems a little hard for, harder for women to be successful in, um, which is not necessarily true. I'm living proof of that. Uh, and then you add sports on top of that, it's very, very male dominated. So I was super excited that I found the women in sports tech group and I just started working with them. So I'm looking forward to being able to mentor, inspire, do webinars, whatever it might be, similar to what I did on the big tech side. And I still do a lot of that mentoring. Um, I also mentor with an outside organization that just focuses on creating women leaders, not just in tech, but across the board. But I feel like it's important to pay it forward because when, when I was struggling with how do I manage, can I get there, all those questions, I'm a mom, I'm a single mom, how do I do it? There really weren't a lot of role models for me. Um, I mean, I could probably count the ones that, <laughs> that I had. I had a great role model. She was an IBM fellow. She was also a single mom. Every time I felt like I a lot of great role models uh, until probably the last maybe five years I was at IBM. But I remember asking one of the women executives, she just had a baby. Um, and I asked her like, how did you do it? And she said, oh, well, I, you know, I moved my parents next door and they helped me raise the kids. And I'm thinking, not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I, I want to figure out how to do it myself. You know, I, I want to, it was important to me to still have my family feel like I was there for them. And especially as a single mom, I always felt like I, there was no option. I, I was all that they had. So I couldn't be the person who was just career focused. It was, it was a huge dilemma for me. So I imagine there's so many more of me's like that age out there looking for the women to say, oh my God, there's somebody who made it to the other side, whether it's in tech or sports tech, I want to help them. I want to encourage them. And do you find that the challenges overlap with, with women in tech or women in sports tech or female leaders, are we all sort of experiencing these same challenges no matter what the industry? I think so. I think no matter what the industry, certainly some industries are more challenging than others. You know, tech was one set of challenges. Sports is another. <laughs> like, I, it was funny. I remember some, someone asked me uh, in an interview when I was working for IBM about, well, how do you feel when you're the only woman in the room? And I think my answer was, I don't really notice it. And sports, though, it's kind of hard not to notice because it's an overwhelming amount of ratio all the time that you're, you're quite possibly the only woman in the room. 
Um, and it's not that it bothers me, but it, it makes me just feel more passionate about changing the ratio and encouraging more women to come in. And even in the past year, seeing like what happened within the NFL this past weekend, where we had two women coaches and a women referee, like that's amazing. So I think we're on our way. And I think that a lot of glass is starting to break. I mean, look at yourself. I was super excited to talk to you. Like, this is great. We just need to encourage more women and show them that we can do it. Exactly. And that's the whole point of this podcast is Marion Wright Edelman says, you can't be what you can't see. And so if this mm -hmm. podcast can help create some more visibility on the opportunities that are available for women, then, you know, we've done our job. Right. Um, I have been in a room and been the only woman more times than I can count. <laughs> and I know the value that I bring. I'm confident in that value. And I just think, wow, mm -hmm. what if there were other females at the table, we can make a bigger table. There is room for all of us right. and we can bring our unique perspectives, our unique approaches to problem solving um, across these industries. And I, from my experience, I think we look under rocks that nobody else did. You know, we're, we're turning these things, we're turning right. ideas over, we're asking for the data, um, we're bringing in new experiences. We could be exposed to um, to different opportunities. And so that's why diversity is, is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can't change the ratios if you don't stay in it. <laughs> so oftentimes exactly. when I hear about women, like, I don't know, it seems like it's too overwhelming or I feel overwhelmed. I'm already in it. Stay in it. That's the only way we get there. I'm so happy you pointed that out. <laughs> and um, it's, once you get there, you got to hang on. And right. um, I'm so happy to see all of these different mentorship programs popping up because that is proven. The data proves yeah. that you will hang on longer if you have more support and understand Absolutely. that those resources are available. Absolutely. So, um, what is one skill you can suggest that women acquire in order to level up? One or two or three. So I'm going to give you one you probably wouldn't have guessed, and that is be a good storyteller. Whether you're telling story with data, um, that and we can and women are really good storytellers, or you're kicking off a meeting for 500 people. Um, if you can tell a good relevant story, it just gets everybody really engaged. And I think it's a skill that not many people think about, but it helps you, not only helps show your authenticity, because it's obviously something you would have thought about what story you want to tell and how it's relevant to that particular meeting, but it, it, it helps people connect better with you. And it, you can connect with a thousand people at a time. You can connect with two people at a time. But if you can tell better stories, whether it's the story of your business to the press, whether it's the story behind the financials, <laughs> right, that you've got to tell to your CEO or the board, uh, or a story that basically gets the attention of the team that you want to get their attention of in the beginning of a meeting. I think that is a, a skill people don't think about, but it's a great skill to have. And you know, I'm going to ask you this. Do you have any suggestions on how we can work on storytelling? What's the best way to practice? So um, I think you have to do your research. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. So we have our, yesterday we had our um, kickoff for our, for our sprint. So every six weeks we do a big kickoff with engineering product, marketing teams. 
and we basically put together an agenda and I'm always first on the agenda and I always try and come up with some story that's really relevant at the time. So I might search for it like for hours, like, but I'll like do a bunch of searching until I find something that's like, that's it. The story that I told yesterday was about innovation, but innovation that's, that keeps you close to your core. Cause I wanted to make sure as we start to really accelerate on our innovation, that we don't get over our skis, that we know what our core business is and we, and we innovate that way. And so I actually told the story of Legos, um, which you're not, not somebody, not somebody you would think of when you think of innovation, but um, they actually over innovated for a time period. And, you know, despite the fact that there were more Lego people in the world than humans, they somehow just lost so much value in 2003. And then the, their leader at the time basically said, hey, build something great. And so they just kind of went everywhere. And some of them were successes, like Star Wars was really good, you know, Harry Potter was really good. But then they came up with other things like this Galador series and they made a TV show out of it. And the TV show is such a disaster that the actors that were in it never worked again. <laughs> so they, they just got way over their skis in terms of what their core was. And so they, they brought back a different leader and he basically said, we got to get back to what we do best. So don't go just build something, build a really great Lego car, build a really great Lego village, get back to the core. And I experienced the same thing when I was at McDonald's because we went through this phase where we had playlands and, and chicken places and burritos and all of these things. And we got too far from our core trying to innovate away from it. Uh, when in fast, we we were better at just being a really good burger company. Um, and so that was the message I wanted to send the team was because we were starting to ramp up the, the incubator and accelerate innovation was that we have to do what innovation matters. And so the story helped connect that message to them. Uh, but, it, but I probably read a bunch of stuff for like maybe two hours before we found that story. So a little bit of research and a little bit of practice, I think is really all you need. Yeah, the pre-work is so important. Um, you can't just show up for the meeting. Right. Um, and I, I got a tip a couple of years ago that oftentimes the one who shows up to the meeting with the plan is the plan that everybody goes with. That's right. Because yeah. we're too overbooked, we're too overscheduled, that oftentimes people aren't putting in the work required to hold a great meeting, a great productive mm -hmm. meeting, or a great kickoff. And so I love... First, that you highlighted um, the importance of being prepared, but then also um, practicing your storytelling. Do the mm -hmm. research. Um, remember when we took speech classes in college exactly. or in high school and you had to practice the speech before you delivered yep. it? You yep. know, when's the last time you did that before a meeting or a big presentation? <laughs> that you I do that before every presentation. Yeah, that every is a presentation. Yes, yeah, I, I still get the C-suite executive <laughs> on the other end of the line. So we will take that to heart. That is <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I love that story of Legos. I've got a six-year-old and boy, does he love Legos. And mm -hmm. um, I think there's a documentary out there about that, um, about their rise back to yeah. profitability um, when, yes. when they started to focus on the most key components, they boiled down mm -hmm. what they could do best and right. then excelled at those, those pieces. And I also think that's really relevant in the sports industry. Um, mm -hmm. We get a lot of really great ideas. Um, 
get sometimes a little too excited about those things, run in a million different directions and can flop on the execution. Mm -hmm. um, but if we streamline what we're the best at, um, do it with excellence and measure the results, then you right. can make smarter decisions in the future, sell more tickets, right. sell more partnerships, elevate right. the business. Double down where you're great and, you know, don't double down where not so great. And yeah, I think people, it is a lot, it comes down to being able to measure success and, and recognizing when you've got to stop doing something. Absolutely. Well, Nancy, it has been an absolute pleasure to be on the phone Thank with you. you. And I want to wrap up today with your favorite quote. <laughs> I think the first thing that comes to mind that I've thought a lot about is really just the, the Nike quote of just do it. Because I think as women, we tend to overanalyze everything. And, and even when I was taking this role, it was funny because I felt myself doing it. And one of the people that I mentored said, you know, a wise person told me, don't overanalyze, just do it, jump in, take that job. And I thought, yeah, that's true. I did say that, didn't I? So I think that's my advice is take that job, don't overanalyze it in the, you know, I think in the time that you think you are questioning your capability, there's going to be more men that step in front of you and, and don't question their capabilities. So just do it, take the job, grab it, take the chances. It's totally worth it. Take action. Absolutely. Nancy, Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Stats Perform. What a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your voice, Thank your you. inspiration, and your leadership with us today. Pleasure to be here. Mic drop from female leader Nancy Hensley. Did she bring it or what? I am grateful for this interview. It really hit home for me. Nancy is officially added to the mentor through admiration list, and I'm excited to continue to follow her career and accomplishments. I hope you took some notes and take much of Nancy's advice to heart. If you didn't have a pen handy, get one now. Here are the top four takeaways. Number one, know what you bring to the table. Think about your strengths, not your limitations. Number two, the right partner means everything when you are trying to reach the next level as a woman. We often feel like we have to be the ones to do it all when it comes to home life, or we don't ask for help, or we don't have the right partner so that we can succeed. Have a partner who supports, listens, and understands your career goals so you can achieve your dreams. Number three, as a leader, manage to the outcome you want your team to achieve. You don't need to know it all or be the subject matter expert. This is a big shift from a doer role to a leader role. As a leader, you have to figure out a way to enable the people who work for you to be successful in their specific areas of expertise to achieve the company's goals. Number four, Work for people who understand your talents and support you. Over time, working in the wrong environment can degrade your self-confidence. If your boss does not support you, you have to get out and move on so that you can flourish under the right leadership. Hey you, did you join my email list? I want to stay in touch with you so that you'll have the heads up on new podcast episodes and get the tips you are looking for to empower you to level up. It's easy to sign up. Head on over to emilyjansen.com. I'm so excited you are here and I can't wait to help lead you forward in the career of your dreams. Again, that's emilyjanson.com.
Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us.